The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. We'll go ahead and get started. This will be our first breakout for the Be Strong event. It's, uh, it's awesome to see you guys. I've been coming to Be Strong since about, I don't know, 2014, uh, 2013. So uh, I try not to miss any of them. They're good, and, and I'm thankful to to see the type of participation that we get. And uh, it's just exciting to be around a bunch of guys who love Jesus, to hear you guys sing, to, to be involved in all of this. It's, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool experience to do this a couple of times a year. But uh, for our topic today, man, I was, uh, I was, I, I know probably most of you are kind of like me in the fact that I got sucked into watching this uh, streaming series. I was watching this show it had to do with uh, drug dealers and, and the drug epidemic that was going on in Florida in the 1980s. And, and they were talking about all these different guys, how they were smuggling drugs and bringing stuff into America and, and the crisis they were fa- facing and how difficult it was for uh, law enforcement to, to kind of get this under control. And I'm sitting there watching this, this show and then all of a sudden they bring up a name and show a picture of a guy who I knew very well has sat at his dinner table who has had influence in my life pretty, in, in a pretty significant way. And you're like, man, that's crazy. And they were talking about how he would, he would, he had like an offshore, like uh, one of those speedboats, one of those big ones, and he would go like halfway between the tip of Florida and Cuba and pick up, they would drop drugs, mostly marijuana, but s- some other stuff, and they would drop it out of airplanes into the ocean. He'd pick it up and bring it back. And here was the funny thing that they felt like was uh, to, to the guys putting on the show was he was doing it to fuel a racing habit. So most everybody else was doing drugs to get rich and, you know, live, live the big life. He was doing it so he could have enough money to buy tires for his race car. And so uh, I, I, I saw him uh, not too long ago do, do an interview. And, he, you know, when I was, uh, let's see, I was about ninth grade. They moved to our, our little town, our little, I live, we live kind of live lived off back in a, a little community way back in the sticks and his son and I are the same age and uh, we got to be friends and I actually went to one of my very first races with this guy and he gave me one job and that was uh, so it's against the rules in like uh, most most race, some racing you can but this one you definitely could not this was a NASCAR sanctioned event where you could put a liquid on your tires to make your tires softer so that they stick to the track better and my job was to take these big syringes of this illegal stuff and put it in the tires and sit there and roll the tire all day long so it wouldn't set up in one side. That was my job. So I went to my first race with him, and, and, uh, and, and so he had some influence in my life. But as I watched this interview with him, uh, man, I, I knew his son. I knew his kids. And I knew the toll that took on his family to spend, I think it was six or seven years in prison. And then when he gets out of prison, he goes back into racing only to get back into smuggling again. And this is what he said. He said, I couldn't find anything else that excited me like racing did except for smuggling drugs. So he went back to doing that. And you just really lose a lot of respect for a guy that's so self-focused on that. The guy so self-absorbed. It's all about me. It's all about, I mean, he had three kids, uh, a wife who stood by his side through his first imprisonment, and he's willing to throw all of that away 
for some selfish ambition that's only going to last for a moment. It's, it's crazy when you see people like that, when you see people that are just totally driven and focused on the, the crazy things of life, whether it be money or power, success, fame, or sex, you, it's, it's such a turnoff. I mean, it just really, it's, it's not how, I don't think any of us in this room would ever want to be, but unguarded and unchecked, I think a lot of people end up that way without that intention. But on the flip side of that, how awesome is it to see when you're around a group of, or a, a guy who's a leader or a group of guys who are, who are um, selfless, who are sacrificial, you know, Jesus says, greater love has no man than he would lay down his life for his friends, right? And so when you see somebody who lives that way, nothing inspires and encourages, encourages us more than that. And so, you know, what, what that looks like for us and, and what we want to be like is, in that type of an extreme environment is, is kind of easy to see. But here at camp at Snowbird, uh, we, we have a set of core values that, that we want to see characterized by the people in this ministry. We have a mission statement, Snowbird Wilderness exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the exposition of scripture and personal relationships, all right, that we may uh, equip the church to impact this generation. So we work, that, that's where our vision and for ministry is, but we also have a set of core values. And, and, and our core values, gospel-driven, is the very first one. And so today, I wanted to take the time to kind of walk through what that looks like, what, what gospel-driven looks like. And for us, you know, you, some of you guys work here at camp that I see out there, but for most of us here, you, you don't work here at camp. But it's just like when you're reading in First Timothy or Titus, you see what the qualifications of a pastor are. We all want to aim in that direction, right? We all want to live above reproach. We all want to love our wives well. We all want to be the kind of man that God is calling pastors to be. And so in the same way, I think, what is applicable for us is how we work as a ministry here inside of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters is, is something that, that the leadership here has worked on and thought about and thought about how we could best reach our community and reach uh, uh, junior high and high school students, men and women with the gospel and the way this lays out. And the very first core value that we want to see is that we're gospel driven. And so I, I'm from the Bible Belt, probably like most of you guys, right? And so if you, if you, like, I came to faith in Jesus when I was 25 years old. And I got really fired up about Jesus. I got really fired up about reading my Bible. And I got really excited. And so if most of the people that were around me were telling me, I, I need to be a missionary or a preacher, right? How many of you guys have ever struggled? Like, hey, I'm, I'm not in ministry now, but I want to be a ministry. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand a bunch of times. Anybody in here ever struggle with that? good we're all liars just kidding that was kind of a struggle for me like and so what what do I do with this passion and this love that I have for God's word and and for Jesus and the thankfulness that I have in my own life for what he redeemed me from how does that work itself out and in my mind I wanted to be involved in ministry but I was in a different place I, I, I was I was I was in a place where I was working and and, and at that time, I was, I was racing uh, full-time for a living in NASCAR. And so 
I'm amazed in, in 1 Corinthians when Paul talks about, he's like, hey, where were you when you came to faith in Jesus? Were you a slave? Stay a slave. Be a good one for the gospel. And now that situation may change, and if you can avail yourself, do that. Were you married to an unbeliever? Stay that way. But what he's saying is, is through this, and I think for us, is that we have to have a deep-rooted trust in God's sovereignty. He has placed us in the particular places that we are now. Not that that won't change, but through the gospel, we should be, be able to be used where we are currently. Like we could rest in God's sovereignty enough to know that where we are right now is a place that God has us and we can be used fully in that place. And so the gospel we talked, this morning's session was awesome, wasn't it? John Rulo, that was just so good. And I think he hit on so many points that, that I think will overlap. But one of the things he was talking about was being um, how the gospel affects and shapes your life, how the gospel drives you. And, um, and so, you know, we hear this a lot and we say this a lot, preach the gospel to yourself, right? We want, we want to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel because it's easy to become so familiar with something that you lose sight of the magnitude of it. A friend of mine today said, a fish doesn't know he's wet, Right? And so sometimes it's, it's easy for us. We are forgetful people who, who will move on. And so if we're going to talk about what it looks like to be gospel-driven, I just want to drill down a bit into the gospel and kind of lay that out and, and think about that because there's nothing else in this world worth pouring our lives out for. Right? I've lived in that world of racing. Like, I, like that guy, his name's Gary Blue. And uh, he was a phenomenal race car driver. And he, he had the whole world in front of him. And, and, and he looked like he was going to be a superstar. But he threw that away. And he threw that away for some fame and a pot of gold at the end of a checkered flag. And, and I know what that feels like. And, and when you get so consumed in something, it's hard to see out, right? Like you're, you're so focused on your job. You're so focused on... The, the, the circumstances or the situation that you have in, at hand, that, that, it, that it's hard to think outside of that. And so it is important that we preach the gospel to ourselves. And the gospel, first and foremost, before anything else, is a message. It's a message of good news. And this good news is that God saves sinners and brings them into his family. Some, some people like to break the gospel down into God, man, Christ response. And so I just kind of follow that format to, to walk through that. In the beginning, God created. God didn't need us. God wasn't lacking something in himself that he felt like he, he was lonely and, 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 needed, and needed people or needed creation, but rather intrinsically from his own creativity and from his own self, creates. God creates. God creates the world. God creates all things in it, and he creates this God and he puts man, the pinnacle of his creation, in the garden. And in this garden, he has a right relationship with, with man, and he tells man, here are all the yeses and one no. And in that, a lot of people believe that, that the, the point of that was is to establish his authority and his lordship over man. But there was no sin. There was no break in communication. 
And God saw all that he made and said that it was good. And in this goodness is where man lived. And man comes on the scene. So you've got God, perfect, holy, righteous, just, creator. Man comes onto the scene. And what does man do? Very shortly after he falls, he falls into sin. And in Genesis 3, we see the very first call of the event uh, of the gospel. Some people call it the proto-evangelism in 3.15, Genesis 3.15. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm hacking everything up because everybody's cutting hay around here and it's getting the best of me. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The very first promise that someone is coming, the seed of the woman, someone was coming who would reverse the brokenness and the curse that that man had brought sin into the world and sin had entered into every aspect of our world and life. Like the the results, what what the, the reason for earthquakes and hurricanes and cancer and all of the brokenness and we see in this world is because of the fracture of sin that entered our world. And so we see that this rebellion that man has has not just stayed with just Adam, but with all of us. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You and I are born under the weight of this sin, and we willingly walk right into it. So we, we're born with this sin nature, and not only are we born with, with, with this, this drive towards sinfulness, we've voluntarily walk right into it but then it's kind of like Ephesians 2 but God but then Christ comes at the fullness of time Galatians tells us that Christ comes listen to what Luke 2 10 and 11 says it says and the angel said to them fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so <clears throat> Jesus comes. God set up one rule in the garden. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man breaks this rule and he, sin enters the world. And as he does this, sin spreads to all. And so as we go through the Old Testament, the Old Testament throughout its entirety is pointing and promising and preparing God's people for a coming Savior. That's the purpose of the Old Testament, is to point to the Jesus, the, the, the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And so Jesus steps onto the scene, God in flesh, and he lives out God's law perfectly, and that's important. All through, like if you're reading through the Old Testament, you're reading through the kings, like you're reading through guys who were good guys like Josiah, and you're thinking, oh man, this is going to be good. He's going to do a good job, and at the end he makes a mistake. Uh, every one of these guys, King David, a man after God's own heart, was flawed and broken, right? I mean, he gives testimony to that, clear testimony. And so with the law and with all the hope and the promises of kings and all the, the things that people would put their hope in, there's a continual fall. There's never a measure up to God's standard of holiness and obedience. Jesus steps onto the scene. Jesus, born of a virgin, lives out God's law perfectly in thought and deed. And as he does that, he goes to the cross on our behalf. 
and he goes, he goes as a perfect sacrifice and he lays down his life and in exchange for our sin, our shame and our guilt, he takes that upon himself and he gives to us his righteousness through faith. And so we've got Christ who, who redeems us from the curse of the law. The law says do this or you will die and we're not gonna measure up. Christ accomplished that. He said on the cross, it is finished. It is completed. And so this gospel, this good news of God, the holy and just God who created man, man rebels against him, who deserves his wrath and punishment, Jesus stands in our place as our redeemer. We must respond. Peter, in his famous message in Acts chapter 2, says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. So this, this gospel, this good news, if we're going to talk about gospel-driven, the good news, you and I have to remember and reflect and think on that daily so that it shapes and changes us. And every single man in this room who has put their faith and trust in Jesus is an undeserving recipient of God's grace. Like we don't deserve God's mercy and his grace and yet in his love he pours it out on us. Like you and I deserve to bear the wrath and the just punishment to spend eternity in hell separated from his goodness for our rebellion. Romans 8 tells us that we, we stood in hostility towards him but yet in his goodness he has saved us, and that calls for a response as we talk to people. But our response daily to that is one of gratitude. Man, blown away. That's what's going to shape and change us. And so I wrote this in, in, my, in my journal, in my quiet time. I wanted to read it to you. The gospel is good news. You and I are sinners, and in God's love and mercy, he saves us through faith in Christ. He adopts us into his family, promises to keep us in his family, and when we die, he ushers us into his presence, and he is going to return for us, his church, one day, and everyone who sleeps in death will be raised just as Christ rose from the dead to spend eternity in his presence in glorified bodies, our salvation complete, never to sin again. Now, how awesome is that going to be? Our fight and our struggle now. How awesome is that going to be? And so we look forward to that. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, he is going to come again. And we will likewise be raised and we will spend eternity in his presence. And so some of, some, some of I'm sure somebody's story in this room is you grew up in church. You, you, you never really strayed away from like being obedient to your parents and you came to faith early in life. And, and, and that's an awesome testimony. But for a lot of guys in here, you recognize God's grace in your life because you've been able to see your own brokenness and depravity. And so think about that just for a second. Where were you when God saved you? Like, what did that look like? And, and, and a constant reminder of that is, gonna, is what's going to drive us. And so kind of setting that up before us, I've got two, two ways that, that the gospel will drive us. I think you could have a very comprehensive list and you could talk about a lot of deep things. I'm a pretty basic guy. And, and I think that for us, when we stop and we think about 
the gospel, what it means to be gospel driven. It simply means that we make our life about Jesus and his mission. And so two ways that I think that we could look at here that will be helpful is how do we relate to ourselves and how do we relate to others? So how does the gospel affect the way I relate to myself or understand myself, my position, who I am, and how do I understand other people? All right, pretty, pretty basic stuff, I get it. Uh, but how do we relate to ourselves or how do we understand ourselves? First of all, we need to recognize our position in Christ. We have been made right with God. Colossians 2, 13 and through 15 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcised, un, uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Our standing before God is based on the work of Christ. Our standing, where we stand before God, we have been forgiven and we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so we cannot and should not allow our sin to hold us captive to shame and guilt. You have been declared righteous. Our sin no longer has dominion or power over us, nor our shame. In other words, we, because of what Christ has done on our behalf, we can have confidence. We have access to God. We have peace with God. We have been brought into a right relationship with him. And because of that, the second thing I would say about that is that frees us up to fight for our holiness our own personal pursuit of holiness. That doesn't mean because we have been declared righteous in God's sight that we have now the ability to make excuses. And, and to, like John mentioned this this morning, it's, it's disheartening and sad to read about prominent leaders who have fallen because of sexual promiscuity or money or what have you. It's, it, it hurts. It's, it's sad to see that. And so we don't make excuses for small sins in our life. We fight them because we don't have to earn God's favor. He freely gave it to us. And for us men, it's easy to get bogged down and get into a rhythm of life and feel defeated because of our own struggle with sin. But the gospel tells us we don't have room to stay there. We proclaim Christ's victory, we put our sin to death, and we get back on the playing field and we keep going. And then the second thing, uh, the third thing I would say about how we understand ourselves is we surrender our plans. We surrender our dreams and our plans because of how the gospel has shaped us. So I kind of started this off with a story about a, a race car driver who, who is a, kind of an example of where we don't want to go. I met a, a, a guy several years back. His name's Michael McDowell. If you watch racing at all, he won the Daytona 500 a couple of years ago. And I'm gonna tell you, he's, that dude is a delight to be around. And he drives, uh, he drives several different cars. He's driven several different cars in the Cup Series, but he's had a very roller coaster career. Like he'll drive the worst cars ever. And, and like I know that I went to a race to watch him and he was telling me before the race, if I can finish 20th, that's like winning the race for me. That's horrible. I'm not wired like that. That's tough. And, and when you're that competitive of a person, and he is super competitive, 
That's, that's a difficult thing to swallow as a man, knowing I'm going to go out there and get my hind end beat because I don't have a chance to do much better. But he pushed through, pushed through, and like, I, I know it sounds cool, he won the Daytona 500, we'd all like to be there. Like, I don't know anybody in this room who wouldn't want to cash that check, right? That'd be pretty sweet. But I asked him, I was like, <coughs> how did you hang in there? How did you stay in there through the hard days and through the tough races? He said, I prayed about it and I asked God and I, and I wanted out. I wanted to stop. I wanted to quit. But the Lord told me that, or he felt like the Lord was leading him in a place where he needed to stay after it. And right now in racing, there are more people coming to know Jesus than I've ever known in NASCAR. And this dude is like the direct influence. Like he is, he was using his difficult struggles and times to, to be a light for Jesus. Now, I'm not saying, don't t- take it out of context. If you do what Jesus wants you to do, you're going to win Daytona 500, right? I'm not saying that. Like, he, he's going to run bad this weekend probably, you know? But you, this dude's going to have a smile on his face, and he's going to be talking to people in Bristol, Tennessee tonight about Jesus just because I know him. I haven't even talked to him in the last couple of weeks. That's who this dude is. And so what I want to encourage wherever you are in your workplace, in your life, with your family, if you want to be involved in ministry, if you want to go do a different job, wherever you are in that crossroads, God has you here. Where you're at for a particular reason, don't waste it. Be on mission for what God has called you to do. Be on mission for, what, for the gospel. And then I'm going to skip down to to how we relate to others. And again, this is basic. I think we, I think we, could, we, we, could, we could build a, a, a much more detailed list. But man, it is so important that we rest in our position in Christ. We rest that we have been brought into God's family. And because of that, the way we view other people should always be in light of eternity. Like, it's easy for me to look at someone and, 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 you know, they're on the wrong political side or they've got a different viewpoint than I have and just kind of write them off, like not want to talk to them, push them away because they want to talk about stuff I don't, you know, you know how you shouldn't hunt animals or <laughs> something totally different than, than my world. And, and I just want to write them off. It's easy for me in my heart to just kind of move away. Or it's, e- it's easy to write people off if they hate the Bible, if they hate God, if they hate Jesus, and they think you're crazy. But at the end of the day, because of this gospel that, has, that God saved us, we have to recognize the very foundation of it, and that's the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot be made right with God. There's no hope outside of Jesus. And so as we look at people, we have to recognize, we have to remember that, and we have to put our own pride, comforts, thoughts, and whatever else that stands in the way to the side and recognize that they are a human being born and made in the image of God and are worth our time and are valuable. God has called us to take his message out. Second Corinthians says that we are ambassadors, right? We, we are making his appeal to them. Here's a famous quote by Spurgeon. I just love it. It says this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish 
with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. How many of you got guys you're talking to about Jesus right now? I've been talking to them for years and they're pushed back against the gospel. Keep going. Keep digging. No promise. Who knows? It's worth it though. It's worth it. Man, I was... I hadn't really planned on telling this, but I, I was sitting and I'd been telling this kid about Jesus and we were deer hunting together. And uh, it was so cool because it, it, like, it, was, it was bouncing off of a wall. There was, he didn't want to he, hear a word I had to say. And we're sitting in the deer stand and it's in Texas and it's pitch black dark and you can't see anything and I can hear deer crunching corn. So I know they're right there. And he, he taps me on the shoulder. He goes, hey. I'm like, oh. you know there's deer right here and I'm afraid they're going to hear us or whatever. I was like, what's up, man? He goes, I want that. I was like, you want what? He goes, I want Jesus. You were telling me about last time we were out here. I want, I want that. It's like, what? what I, at this point, I'm like, what in the world's going on? What made him think of that? I don't know. There's no promise. There's no guarantee. But it is so awesome when it comes together. And God allows you to be used in seeing somebody enter into the kingdom. It's worth it. Keep fighting. That's what it means to be gospel-driven. And, then on the, and so if, if we're going to view ourselves in the right position in Christ, if we're going to view others rightly, I think those two things come together in a, in a beautiful place. And John Rouleau hit on this really hard this morning. That's in the local church. Get plugged into the local church. Your calling, your gifting is going to be displayed there well. The, the, if if we look in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, it makes the analogy, Paul makes the analogy, the church is like the body and it operates rightly when we are all working together in unison and in love. The church needs you and you need the church. Get plugged into the local church. Do local ministry with your local church. Have some accountability and work together and be on mission. So whether you work at Snowbird here or whether you're turning wrenches or swinging a hammer or working in a big business. God has called you to that place and he's called every one of us to be gospel driven. I love you guys and I appreciate you being here. It's exciting. I'm gonna pray for us and we'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.